This episode is also brought to you by Oddmo's Pizza in Canby. Handmade awesome pizza plus craft beer, wine, and cider delivered. Order today at 503-263-8444 or visit them online at oddmoes.com. This episode is also brought to you by Canby Foursquare Church. Since 1978, a place to grow, connect, and serve. Sunday services on campus and online at 9 and 11 a.m. Learn more at canbyfoursquare.com. Welcome to Now Hear This Candy, your source for news. The threat of a possible teacher strike was avoided this week. There's a new irresistibly cute creature winning over fans, and its name is Scootaloo. Sports? It's like Lucy in the football. You want to kick a field goal, but they take it away from you. We had to learn how to win. Goal can't be in the last second of the game! And interesting conversations. Because I'm one of the strongest girls ever, and I know that for a fact. I just really enjoy writing gossip as if I was a bear. <laughs> With an old maid daughter that make the best moonshine in the coast. <laughs> if it would hit me in the face, I think I would have died. I really do. It, it, it... I guarantee you would have died, man. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Welcome to Now Hear This Can Be Podcast. After a much-needed holiday break and ready to hit the ground running, thanks for listening. I'm Tyler Clausen, and this is what's happening this week in our community. The Canby School District has located a serious buyer interested in acquiring and relocating the old Karis schoolhouse known as the White Building, which would save the historic structure from demolition. The district has been working for over a year to find a buyer for the historic schoolhouse located on the grounds of Karis Elementary School at the corner of Karis Road and Highway 213. The asking price is $1, was likely not the sticking point, but rather the requirement that any buyer would have to assume the costs of removing and relocating the structure by March of 2023. The project is part of planned work at the Karis Elementary School campus made possible through the $75 million capital improvement bond the district's voters approved in May of 2020. The two-story, 4,720-foot craftsman-style building has served the Karis area as a schoolhouse, meeting hall, community center, and Sunday school for the Methodist Church over the decades. It was used as a school until the 1970s and an administrative office until the early 2000s. The building's location on the site and separation from the main school building prevents it from meeting safety, ADA, seismic, and other requirements for a public school. No longer in use, the white building remains a beloved historical landmark and last year's news that it might be torn down was met with dismay by local readers. We have great respect for history and the value on this building because of that rich history. District Communications Coordinator Christine Wallers explained in an email. That's why we have been working with Clackamas County Historic Review Board along the way. And that's why despite headlines to use bond monies, 
we have delayed this project for more than a year in search of a buyer who is willing to relocate the schoolhouse. Wallers said she could not provide the name of the potential buyer or their intentions until a deal is finalized, but did say that they planned to move the building just a few miles away. The buyer has a permit to allow the building to be moved to the property and has hired an architect and movers, she said. These architects previously served on the historic review board and has an interest in preserving the white building. We feel that this is a perfect match and we are so excited to have the best of both worlds, being able to create space for safety improvements at Karis Elementary School and to preserve the white building. While the news is good, the historic schoolhouse is not out of the woods just yet. If the current sale were to fall through and no buyer could be located, Waller said the district would be forced to move forward with its demolition plans as a last resort. The Clackamas County Historic Review Board met last month to consider the district's plans for the building, ultimately approving the request to move the structure, but not to demolish it. The board also gave a 60-day extension to review community interest and support for the building, which was approved by the county. The next meeting of the Historic Review Board is scheduled for 7 p.m. January 12th. Former Canby City Councilor and current Planning Commission Chair Jason Patton has been appointed to the City Council to fill the unexpired term of Councilor Sarah Spoon, who announced her resignation last month. Patton was previously elected to serve on the Council in November of 2008 general election, but he stepped down midway through his term due to work commitments, something he has in more recent years called one of the biggest mistakes of his life. He has since sought to return to the council at least four times since 2019 alone, including three previous appointments and in the 2020 general election, but was unsuccessful until now. Patton has also served as chair of the Cami Budget Committee for at least the past four years and as chair of the Planning Commission chair since January. I'm excited and honored to be back on City Council, he said. There are a number of significant projects that will get underway in the next two years, and I will do my best to represent the citizens of this community through those projects. As has been the case for previous vacancies, the field was crowded, with seven applicants originally applying for the position, though two withdrew before the interviews were held at the December 21st meeting. Councillor Chris Bangs moved for Patton's appointment, saying he had recommended him for a previous vacancy. I'm making this motion mostly because I can't move to appoint all five, Bangs joked. I'd be honored to serve with all five of the applicants today. I think all of them offered great advantages to our city. The motion was appointed, Patton was approved 3-2, with councillors Tracy Hensley and Sean Farwick opposed and Spoon abstaining. I understand while some in the community are happy to see me back on council, others are not, Patton said. 
with as tumultuous as things have been in the last few years with the council, this is to be expected. I can only hope that the countless hours I have dedicated to serving the community through various government organizations at the city level prove that I am up to the task. I encourage folks with questions or concerns to reach out to me. I look forward to hitting the ground running in the new year. Representative James Heave of Canby and Senator Daniel Bonham of the Dalles, both Republicans, were officially sworn in to represent districts that include the Canby area during the opening day of the 82nd legislative session on Monday. Words cannot express the tremendous honor that it is to serve my friends, neighbors, and constituents in Canby and throughout the 51st district, Heave said in a press release. I am humbled by the great trust that they have placed in me to serve as their voice in the people's house, and I will not let them down. Now, the real work begins. Prior to the new redistricting lines taking effect, he was appointed in February 2022 to serve out an unexpired term of former House Representative Leader Christine Drazen, who resigned her position in an ultimately unsuccessful gubernatorial bid. He, who is a U.S. Marine Corps Iraq war veteran, former vice chair of the Canby Planning Commission, and director of an early learning center in Wilsonville, was elected to his first full term in November with more than 65% of the vote. Former State Representative Daniel Bonham was also sworn in this week to represent the newly redistricted Senate District 26. According to a release, Bonham is a lifelong Oregonian who raised his own family in the state. I am honored to be trusted by Oregonians to serve as state senator for District 26, said Bonham. We have work to do in the state and in our communities, but I am optimistic about the future. I look forward to being part of the Oregon Senate. The Clackamas County Senate, District 26, encompasses all of Canby, Estacada, Sandy, and the villages of Mount Hood. It includes parts of Oregon City, Beaver Creek, Molino, and Boring. District 26 also includes East Multnomah County, Hood River County, and a portion of Wasco, which includes the Dalles. Bonham was first appointed to the Oregon House of Representatives in 2017, where he served as House Republican Deputy Leader under Drazen. Bonham won the Republican primary for the Senate District 26 race last year after former Senator Chuck Thompson R. Hood River opted not to seek another term. The 82nd Oregon Legislative Assembly will begin on Tuesday, January 17th, 2023. Following a once-in-a-century brawl to elect a new speaker, U.S. Representative Lori Chavez-Dreamer, Republican, from Oregon's 5th Congressional District, which includes Canby, was officially sworn in early Saturday morning. 
Although it took longer than expected, I'm glad my colleagues were able to reach a consensus, Chavez Dreamer said in a news release. I'm excited to begin delivering on the promises we made to the American people. The swearing-in was delayed by the longest contest for Speaker of the House in 164 years. Representative Kevin McCarthy, Republican California, finally secured the gavel after the 15th round of voting. She expressed her full support for McCarthy and was grateful the voting was over so the legislative body can get to work. I look forward to working with my colleagues on both sides of the aisle to find common ground so that we can build a booming economy, improve public safety, support our rural communities, expand educational opportunities, and much more, she said. Chavez Dreamer's district, which was redrawn in 2022, now includes Lynn County, most of Clackamas and Deschutes counties, and parts of Multnomah and Marion counties, along with U.S. Representative Andrea Solanas, Democrat from Oregon's 6th. She's the state's first Hispanic congressperson. A longtime resident of Happy Valley, Chavez Dreamer has been involved in local political service for two decades. She first became a member of the Happy Valley Parks Committee in 2002 and went on to serve as a city council president and then as mayor. Instead of tossing solutions to the side in the name of partisan politics, I'm confident that we can rise above the gridlock. I'll work with anyone who's interested in delivering results that benefit Oregonians and all of Americans. She went on to thank her husband of 31 years, Dr. Shonda Reamer, and their twin daughters, Annie and Emily, for their continuous support. It's officially 2023, and Automatic Gallery and Gifts is leaning into the new year, New Me Energy, with a major refresh, more than tripling its offerings of art supplies and do-it-yourself kits, and establishing a permanent marker space for classes, camps, and independent artists. For owners, Shelly and Eric aren't who opened the gallery in June of 2021, it's about reshaping their business model in a way that best serves new and existing customers and making good on the key components of their original vision. Centering Artomatic as a destination for artists and creatives of all stripes across the greater Canby community. When we first started, one of the big things that we always wanted to have was a safe space where people could come and create, Eric said. It's always kind of bugged me that we hadn't been able to deliver on that. We still love our gallery element, and it will always be a huge part of what we do. But now we really want to be that creative maker space we always wanted to be. Now, it's three equal parts 
Classroom Supplies Gallery, Shelley added. In its previous iteration, Artomatic was still an active site of various art classes and workshops in a wide variety of mediums, hosting more than 50 in 2022 alone. But with no dedicated space, each class had to be scheduled outside of normal business hours and required a temporary classroom to be set up in the gallery. With the new setup, Artomatic will be able to greatly expand its offerings and be much more flexible in when they do happen. In the spring and summer, they plan to regularly host classes and even camps spanning multiple sessions for kids, families, and artists to participate in. The store is also vastly expanding its inventory of supplies for artists of all mediums and skill levels, from young children and beginners just starting out to experienced professional artists looking to restock their studios. I can bring in so many new products now, polymer clay, sculpting clay, oil paints, and so much more, Shelley said. I've been keeping a list over the past year of products that customers have been requesting, and I just didn't have the space for it at the time. Now, we can finally add those things. The changes will mean a reduction in gallery space. With Automatic expecting to be able to display the work of two dozen artists at a time compared to the more than 40 it had previously offered. But the arts plan to compensate for that by rotating in new work and new artists more frequently, using a three-month rotation schedule instead of six. We'll be doing shorter rotations, which will help us keep it fresher, Eric said. And since we'll be cutting back a little bit on the amount of wall space, we'll be putting more emphasis on original art here in the gallery. Artomatic 2.0 officially launched with its store's grand reopening on Sunday, January 7th, and is now operating at its normal business hours. For information or to stay updated about classes and other Artomatic news, visit artomatic.com or follow them on Facebook. Hey, Frankie, what's up, dude? Ah, intruder, Alexis, call 411. <laughs> uh, who's Alexis? Oh, it's just you, Tyler. Sorry about that. You know, the days are getting shorter and darker, and before you know it, 6 p.m. is going to feel like midnight, and with the holidays coming, Christmas deliveries on the way and all, I've, I've just, I've been getting more security conscious, and I guess it's just making me a little paranoid. Yeah, so that's what all this is. Looks... Looks like quite the setup. Oh yeah. 
we decided to really invest in a top-of-the-line Wi-Fi connected video security system. Just one little problem. What's that? Well, just look at this. We tested it out during Halloween, and look how grainy and pixelated the video is. Everybody looks like Minecraft characters, and <laughs> only a couple were actually wearing Minecraft costumes. This is supposed to be 4K high-def video. I know, I know, you're gonna say it's my internet service provider like you always do, but I made sure to place my Wi-Fi router in a central location, and I think my download speeds are decent. Oh, Frankie, how many times have we gotta go over this? You always focus on the download speeds, but it's the upload speeds that really matter here. When you've got cameras that are uploading data to your smartphone app through the internet. Oh. I guess I should just hope I get robbed by someone wearing a Minecraft mask. Uh, sure. Or, or you could just switch to Direct Link, where they have internet upload speeds up to 10 times faster than other local providers. Oh. For uploads at the speed of security, visit www.directlink.coop slash internet. Or give them a call, 503-266-8111. All right, joining us on the Cami Conversation today, we are so delighted to be talking with Crystal Rose Fricker. She is the president of Pure Seed, which is a global leader in grass seed research, production, marketing, and services uh, located uh, outside of Canby. Hi, Crystal. Welcome back onto the show. Hi. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, glad to have you back. How are you? I'm good. It's uh, been a crazy year. It has. Yes. Yes. It was a crazy year for uh, for you guys and for for lots of people. Um, lots of exciting reasons we're going to talk about. Why don't you start by just telling for folks that maybe aren't familiar just a little bit about uh, your company and its history, uh, its long history in the grass seed industry? Sure. Yeah, we're a family business uh, started by my father, Bill Rose. And we have a grass seed farm and raise cattle. My brother, Ed Rose, manages that business. And I started working in our research company, which is called Pure Seed Testing, when I was a teenager. And uh, now I run that company. We have three breeders now, myself, my son, Austin Fricker, out here in Oregon, and then a breeder in North Carolina, Dr. Melody Frazier. So we're um, one of the largest private breeding companies for grasses. And wow. then we have a company company called Pure Seed, which is Rose Ag AgriSeed. It's a DBA, Pure Seed, and it's the marketing production company. So that's the warehouses and things you see on Barlow Road. Mm -hmm. And um, we do production with hundreds of growers of our varieties, and then we bring them into our warehouse, blend them, package them. Sometimes we coat the seed or treat the seed and then ship that out to distributors and then they ship it to the end user around the world. So we're in, I think, 50 countries now. Well, well, awesome. And, uh, you know, speaking of shipping around the world and uh, shipping to different countries, um, we had the World Cup last year and you were one of the billions of people uh, following the action out there in Qatar. Um, but, uh, uh, your interest was maybe a little bit beyond uh, the normal fan. Uh, Pure Seed helped develop mm -hmm. the seed that was used 
at the turf on in the 70 plus stadiums that were part of the World Cup. Yeah, there's actually um, eight fields that were the actual fields for the World Cup itself. They had a lot uh -huh. of practice fields as well. Yeah. And um, it's it was a rare situation because the fields were all, I think, within 30 miles or something of each other. So they all, they used perennial ryegrass to overseed the base turf, which was platinum seashore past palum. And we work with both species, but the perennial ryegrass is what was grown in Oregon and, and came from Oregon. And we had trials with them leading up to the World Cup for them to figure out which varieties they liked the best for each stadium. So each stadium even had a little bit of a different blend of ryegrass varieties. And um, we went back and looked at, at the varieties that we sent, the seed that we sent, and it represented about 13 growers of ours in Oregon. And... So it was really cool to watch that, to be able to see our grass over there and being played on by all those different countries mm -hmm. and really gratifying to think, think that we could do that here in Oregon. Yeah, yeah. It seemed like it, uh, the, the grass held up pretty well. I didn't uh, see, see or hear any complaints. <laughs> yeah, it did well. It's extremely hot there in the fall, yes. and that's when they put the ryegrass down. They overseed it in the fall, and then they keep interseeding during the games kind of like we do here with our football stadiums. So um, we have our grass on quite a few baseball and football stadiums here in the U.S. And so we know the varieties that perform better under that kind of foot traffic and yeah. under the lower, lower light, those stadiums can cause a lot of shade and some grasses don't do well mm. in shade. So we've done a lot of research. We actually have a shade trial at our research farm in Oregon here on Zimmerman road. And so we study the grasses for that and help pick the best ones to send to them for trials. And then they evaluate them in their locations. Do you, do you crystal throw on your soccer cleats and run back and forth to see how it holds up? <laughs> they don't have <laughs> I to haven't, do that. I haven't done that, but my daughter, Michaela, my daughter, Michaela was a um, professional track athlete and she would oh, cool. run on our, on our fields and then we one time we actually did a study we have a putting green on our farm and nike worked with us and we um, tried different um, golf shoes of theirs and we had people walk across the plots putt, pick up the ball back and forth and back and forth to try out the shoes and see what kind of traffic each shoe and cleat was going to put on the turf so we have done that before i love that i love just imagining someone that maybe didn't know what was going on is like what are they doing <laughs> That's mm -hmm. not that's not golf. <laughs> yeah, when people drive by the research farm, I think they all always wonder what we're doing out there. We have a lot of flags and different plots and people coming and going, but it's yeah. it's a fun thing. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, well, uh, obviously, the Middle East had some kind of specific uh, uh, characteristics and challenges uh, that you've already, <clears throat> excuse me, already kind of alluded to, and that maybe we'll talk about more. But I was curious, Crystal, are there sort of general traits? that um, athletes and that um, uh, people who put on really large uh, athletic events like the World Cup are looking for in the type of grass mm -hmm. that they want to use in turf? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they need, um, they usually use perennial ryegrass because it's the fastest to come up. It can come up in as quick as three days. Oh, wow. It can, yeah, it can also tiller quickly and make a nice dense turf and it can take the tearing of the track you know, when, when athletes tear and turn on the turf, it can actually recover and regrow. Mm. 
And since it comes up so fast, that's how they can actually intercede even between like for football here, they'll end up throw down seed between each weekly game even to try and get more coming up and helping that density mm. of the turf. But then there are diseases on the grass. Grass actually gets rust, kind of looks like a rusty nail and um, some summertime diseases in the heat and humidity that can make the grass kind of melt away. So we do a lot of breeding for that in North Carolina and select the plants that can survive the most and then recombine them and put together the ones that have the best traffic tolerance, the best disease resistance. And then I mentioned shade, hmm. a grass that doesn't get enough light gets idiolated and kind of reaches for the light and gets a finer leaf blade and it's weaker and it can't take the traffic. So we look for those grasses that can handle that lower light intensity. Sometimes it's different species, but even within each species of grass. So fescue, for example, is a species of grass. Ryegrass is a species. Within each species, there are differences between the varieties. Hmm. And to, to develop a variety like that, when we cycle for a tray and then recombine the plants and then cycle, it takes one year for one cycle because it's a perennial plant. Mm. So to get that trade in, that takes at least 10 years of breeding work. Wow. Wow. So did you start, um, you, you didn't uh, develop a specific breed for the world cup. Uh, you already had some things in the pipeline that you had been developing that you kind of put a mix together. Yeah. So we had developed those varieties probably 10 to 12 years ago and mm. then they've been in trials so we have to finish the variety and get it to a point where there's enough seed that we can send it over to the middle east for them to put it in trials so they planted some of their practice fields and then they tweaked the blend based on the varieties that they liked yeah so we have varieties of ryegrass that are even 20 years old because the growers like to grow them they yield well and they have a trait that the end user likes in the meantime, we're always developing new varieties because those will be the future 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. I got to stay ahead of the curve. Um, I think I did read read somewhere that uh, your company's work with FIFA for the World Cup, uh, though, did go back something like seven or eight years back to 2016 uh, when you first started working with them to, um, uh, to, to uh, ultimately find the blend. Well, it's kind of a relationship business. Hmm. So it's who you know, and then sending them seed to trial. So yeah. STRI is an organization in Europe that was working with FIFA and doing the trialing. And uh, my partner, John Holmes, was also there a lot in the Middle East. And he was working with the Platinum, past Palum. And so then they wanted to look what talk to us about ryegrass. And so we made that connection. I went over there two times. Um, and then Lucas Solis, my general manager at Pure Seed, he went over there several times. And of course, John. So we're going over there all the time, talking with them about seed for other projects and then working with them on the World Cup project as well. So we have a large part of the business in the Middle East right now for other projects as well. Awesome. And that's one thing that I did want to ask you about. Um, because yeah, I mean, you've mentioned the, the heat, but uh, I mean, this is a desert that we're talking about, right? You don't necessarily mm -hmm. picture like lush grasslands <laughs> in the no, Middle East and in places like Qatar. Um, so obviously the heat, really high salt, uh, soil conditions. I mean, a lot of challenges you guys were dealing with, right? Yes. Yes. And, um, you go there and you're like, how can grass grow here? And that's why 
you know, the two main species are seashore past pound because it's mm. salt to- tolerant. It, it can grow by the ocean. Okay. And so they have a lot of that, a lot of our, our seashore past pound seed over there on golf courses. And then perennial ryegrass can take the heat for a while. And when they overseed it, they don't expect that grass to last for a full year. It's just for the games. And then it, it dies out and the past column is underneath and it keeps surviving year round. Yeah. And then next year they'll put more ryegrass over the top of it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Is there a particular, you mentioned obviously the hardiness is really important. The, uh, the lifespan and, and how quickly it can get, come up. Obviously that makes sense. Is there a particular, look or color that they're kind of looking for um when they're uh, obviously thinking about these uh which at the end of the day are huge entertainment spectacles and and the look is important mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting um europeans really like the lighter green color americans like the darker green color mm-hmm. and um well southern europeans like italians like darker green so there's a little bit of a preference what people like um, the main thing is that it's bright, vibrant, and healthy. Yeah. And um, we have a whole spectrum of varieties based on color. So if you like light green, we have those varieties. If you like the dark green, we have those as well. Um, and they all have, in our case, they all need to yield good for the growers and they need to have that disease resistance. So to us, color is now not as important as being able to be sustainable and drought tolerant, salt tolerant, disease resistant is the most important thing. And sometimes that's a light green variety and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I saw some crazy uh, numbers, Crystal, about the, um, uh, just the logistics of turfing these arenas, um, the, uh, the amount of grass seed that had to be shipped over there. Um, do you recall the specific numbers, something like millions of tons or something like that? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> No, it's not millions. It's more like tens of thousands of pounds, like yeah. a couple hundred thousand pounds for these fields. What we grow, our company deals with tens of millions of pounds. Okay. Yeah. And that's what's shipped everywhere all, around all the, world. the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when did the grass seed go, go over there? And I assume it went, what, by cargo ship or? Yeah, I went by ship. We have had situations where if, you know, with all the logistics and the problems with the ships mm. in the ports, we've had situations. So they usually need to seed. They want the seed by August to get it down while the soil temperatures are still good. August, September, and even October. And we've had situations in the Middle East where the ship isn't going to make it. So we've had to actually air freight seed, which as you can imagine is expensive. I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, does the seed need, need time to even just kind of acclimate it all or, um, nope. no, just ready. To just need to keep go. it dry. Yeah. Keep yeah. it dry. And then when they put it down, as soon as they water it, it will start to germinate. Yeah. Keeping it dry probably wasn't a problem for them. Nope. That, that was one, <laughs> one challenge that they did not have. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, Crystal, was, and you alluded to it as well, but just the, the feeling of, of, I guess, are you a, a football or soccer fan? I am. I'm getting more into it. My son is is really into it. And he knew, you know, one of our interviews we did was for the International Seed Federation. They're like, okay, who are you cheering for? And I'm like, well, everybody I've been cheering for keeps losing. Because, you know, I started with the U.S. Of course. 
Yeah. And then I went Holland because I have a breeder in Holland that we work with. And I figured they were all cheering. And of course, my son picked Argentina from the get go. Oh, he yeah. totally knew it. And he, you know, was rooting for Messi. And so totally yeah. knew what was going on better than I. But yeah. yeah, it's it grows on you. Yeah, I'm sure he hasn't been bragging about that at all, that he picked the winner. So no. Uh, but yeah, what what did it feel like to to watch these again these uh, these matches that billions of people around the world are watching and and know that maybe mm. you know a lot of them don't know, but you know that you and your company and your growers were um, integral to making that happen. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. It's kind of like uh, the grass varieties are sort of like our children. And it's like seeing them perform and do well and then getting the feedback, you know, from the caretakers of the grass that because I mean, even like a like a golf course in the U.S., I can't name some names, but some of the top golf courses, you know, it's a lot of work to maintain that grass and to know how it's an art to be able to take care of it. Yeah. And in some cases, caregivers can even lose their jobs if there's some problem with the grass. Mm -hmm. And so to get the feedback that it that they love the grass came up well, it performed as they wanted. And then to see the players, you know, being safe on that grass. That's also Mm -hmm. a big thing for um, athletes today is realizing the difference between the surfaces they can play on. And that natural grass is the safest as long as it's maintained well. And just feeling like we had a part in helping that event to be a success and helping those players to reach their potential and, and Mm. achieve their dreams. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool to know we have a small part in that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a big deal for Oregon as well, that, um, that, that ryegrass was grown right here um, on one of the biggest stages uh, of the world to be able to uh, be part of that spotlight. Um, a lot of people don't realize how important the the grass seed industry is to Oregon agriculture. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, some of the interviews I've done, they're like, wow, we had no idea that all this goes into grass, but you think about grass and you see it everywhere. It is Mm -hmm. actually one of the biggest agricultural crops that we have because it's there's 20 species of it so corn is one species but in Mm. grass there's literally 20 plus species that we work with for pastures for horses and cattle you know for erosion control on construction sites and landscaping around buildings your home lawns then you have your sports turf which is another elite level of of turf right and the amount of seed that is used in the u.s is huge then you take the amount of seed used around the world it's a very important crop that is a low price. Sadly, it's a low price crop. And that's Mm -hmm. what we're trying to work on is how to get more value and make this important to the end user so that the grower can survive to grow grass seed. Because you may have noticed around here, a lot of grass seed acres have been taken out and other, other crops are being planted. So we're really working hard as an industry to raise that value and raise that level so that it can be sustainable. Because Oregon is the largest grass seed producer in the world. This is where a lot of it is grown. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I was reading that um, a quarter uh, of the Willamette Valley, obviously the Willamette Valley is the, the agricultural uh, engine of, of the state and, and such a huge mm-hmm. agricultural area, uh, but that a quarter of um, the, the farms and fields that are in use in the Willamette Valley are grass seed. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. It used to be more, but yeah, those (laughs) growers are very um, savvy growers. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot to grow grassy. When you plant a field, it can last up to five years. So they Mm -hmm. have the planting is important, but then taking care of it each year and getting a return on their investment is very important to them. As we know, fertilizer prices and, and the inputs that they put in, all that's gone up. So it takes a lot to produce good quality grass seed. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Crystal, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been uh, such such a pleasure to talk to you. Before you mm-hmm. go, is there any uh, thing you, uh, anything else you want to sh- uh, say or anything you want to share about how folks can um, learn more about Piercy and what you do? Sure. Yeah, we're on YouTube. Um, we also have a website. Just look up Pureseed, and on our YouTube. Um, stories if you're interested in learning more about grass how we breed grass or drought tolerance we have about 12 episodes that cover all the different things that we do and the traits we work on and where our grasses are being used you're welcome to go and and look us up awesome awesome all right thank you crystal happy new year have a great year happy new year thank you Hey, I'm AJ. I'm your uh, local Oddmos franchise owner. I'm Mike, co-founder of Oddmos. And we're the hosts of The Odd Pod, a podcast about life in the pizza industry. We're going to have on some franchisees. We're going to have some different vendors on. We're going to get a snapshot of what goes on behind the scenes in the, the pizza world. Don't forget to tell them about the sports. They're sports. And the crazy wacky pizza that we have every Wednesday that we create. And we also have a special guest every week as well. And I'm Gage, Odd Pod senior sports analyst. Gage, who gave you that title? Me. Oh boy. Find us on Spotify and Apple Music and the Podbean. Tyler, did you know that the Australian lyrebird can mimic any sound that it hears? Even chainsaws? No, that's uh, super interesting. Did you know that a baby puffin is called a puffling? Uh, Or that baby sea otters can't swim? So their moms wrap them up in pieces of kelp until they learn how to paddle. Wait, do you know any trivia that isn't like animal related? Not really, but here's some stuff you may not know about the Wild Hair Saloon, where Camby goes to eat and have fun. Okay. The Wild Hair is one of Camby's longest running locally owned restaurants. Owners Joan and Darren Moden have been in business for 16 years. That's cool. Yeah, heck, you were just a baby back then. I, and, wait, what? and they love to give back. They've been members of the Camby Chamber for that long, and they donate over $20,000 to local sports, FFA programs, and civic organizations each year. Wow, I'm legitimately like caught off. That's cool. Yeah. They also support more than 30 jobs in the community through their award-winning staff, some of them as young as 18. Hey, that's older than you are. Uh, dude, I'm te- I'm 10 months younger than you. With, with the days getting longer and the weather getting warmer, the Canby Wild Hair's expansive outdoor patio is the place to be. Furry friends, welcome. Well, that sounds great. I'm going to go check them out just off of Highway 99E next to the Space Age in Canby at 1656 Beaver Creek Road in Oregon City or on their website at thewildhairsaloon.net. Now Hear This Canby is produced by me, Tyler Clausen. Our content director and star reporter is Tyler Frankie. And of course, our show is edited by Cameron Clausen. We also feature the vocal talents of Joy Struby and James Walden. So a round of applause to them. The song that you're hearing right now is Canby by singer-songwriter Olivia Harms, used with her permission. To find more work from her, you can visit her website, olivia13.com. 
Now Hear This Can Be is dedicated to preserving independent local journalism and redefining local news with our fun, fresh, and energetic brand of storytelling. Our sincere thanks to our local sponsors who make this show possible. Please show your appreciation by supporting the small businesses who support us. The production of Now Hear This Studios, Canby's locally owned, full-service audio, video, and media production company. Our mission is to produce the best content in the universe, and we'd love to help you do it. Find us online at nhtstudios.com. Um, I will take a motion to adjourn. I just moved it. I didn't even ask for it, though.